When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. She's got a lot of, I was going to say buns in the oven. That is not what she has. She has a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> that girl has so many buns in the oven. <laughs> Oops. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Mallory Smart. She's a Chicago-based writer and the editor-in-chief of the publishing house Maudlin House. She talks about music and literature on the podcast Textual Healing and about horror movies on her podcast The Horror Cast. Her novel The Only Living Girl in Chicago just came out from Trident Press in August of 2021. Welcome, Mallory. Welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be on here. You guys are really hyped up to me the other day. (gasps) Who hyped us? (laughs) Dimitri Samarov. Oh, of course. We yeah. love him. We're Dimitri yeah. fans. How could you not be? <laughs> yeah, we got wine. And then he was like, what are you guys going to talk about? And I was like, I have no idea. We're going to talk about you, Dimitri. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about <laughs> driving a cab. You know, that's actually my main goal. I just want to just talk about what he does for a living. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I was in exile in Bookville not too long ago. I think this is my second exile in Bookville. Shout out. Um and they have just a wall of Dimitri's art. No way. And it is beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really great. It also feels like such a Chicago place. You know, it's like in the fine arts building and then there's a wall of Dimitri's art. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Yeah, he took me to uh, see his art at Webster's Wine Bar where they have oh, basically yeah. wall to wall. So that was pretty cool. And he did the cover for my book. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So. Should have known looking at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, what are you going to read to us tonight? I'm going to keep it simple. I'm just going to do the very first chapter of The Only Living Girl in Chicago. It's called Enter John and the Rhinoceros. Halfway through Eugene Ionesco's 1959 absurdist play Rhinoceros, she began to think of John. She always thought of him late at night when she was smoking and reading things that were weird, full of melancholy and trauma. She made herself a cup of black coffee. It was Stumptown Blend from when she was in Portland for poetry reading. She originally was hesitant to buy the coffee beans because she foolishly worried that it wouldn't get by security, but it did. 
When she told this to her friend later, he laughed and said that they don't care about food, only liquids. This didn't help and only made her feel like an idiot. At this point, as the narrator, I should mention that this friend is not John. John is dead. This makes her sad to think about, and I guess that's why she was thinking about him while reading a sad play on her Chicago rooftop. She sipped her coffee and smoked while looking out at the dim skyline that she could see from her building. The crisscrossing of styles and shapes of all that surrounded her, make her made her think that what was once distinct about this place was now a thing of the past. When she saw the skyscrapers surrounded in a loop by buildings from the 19th century, the overlap of intellectual and aesthetic integrity seemed gone. She wanted to feel so fulfilled by all the good that was happening in her life, but she just couldn't at that point. So many people in her life had died, but this one really hit her for some reason. She went on to Twitter so that she could look through their old DMs. She wondered if there would ever be a time where Twitter would realize that he was gone forever and just delete his account, and then it would be like as if he was never there. She immediately highlighted all their messages and copied them into her notes app on her iPhone. This process took a while because it takes a while to load each page as you scroll up, and they had literal years of messages. When she pasted it to her notes app, it showed his Twitter profile image and it made her laugh. It was such a clumsy brand he tried to throw together, but he was still the best writer she ever met. She dropped her cigarette and her coffee and went back to bed wondering if she would ever meet anyone like him again. That's it. Mallory, I was reading about you actually in um, the article that Dimitri wrote about you. See, Dimitri, this is all about you, if you're listening. <laughs> it really is. He's the center <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> and it said that you were a history major. I just want to hear, you know, your trajectory of, um, you know, history major to now, running Maudlin House yeah. and writing and publishing and all that. I mean, it is such like an ebb and flow where like there's no straight trajectory. I mean, I started history and I was totally going to go full throttle. And that was like around the height of the Occupy movement. If everybody mm. remembers that shout mm-hmm. out to anybody above the age of Gen Z. <laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah. You know, those who remember that really fun movement. So <laughs> I dropped out of college briefly and I decided I wanted to actually be a filmmaker. And when I was doing a 24 hour film contest, one of the actors was a writer who introduced me to some of the alt-right people. Not alt-right, dear God, that's why it was such a... See, <laughs> <laughs> thank God that alt-lit is not a thing anymore, so you can't fuck that up. <laughs> See, this is why I need the coffee. <laughs> me but too, no, I guess. Introduced me to some more alt-lit people, and I just started kind of traveling around the country and hooking up with them and reading stuff and everything, and it was fun. Can but, you, for people yeah. who don't know, can you t- describe what Altlit is? Wow, isn't that a fun one? I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think I could. Like Tumblr poetry, maybe, hmm. and people who would like read things on YouTube and like combine it with really interesting music, and it ended up being a very toxic environment, and that's why it's gone now because a lot hmm. of the big people in it ended up being. Uh, canceled for very very, yeah very just reasons but there were a lot of good writers that came out of it mainly the ones who weren't being crazy and horrible to people (laughs) (laughs) but I would just kind of call it online writing Mm -hmm. 
I, I've also been wondering what we're actually going to be calling our current mode of writing right now because hmm. it's not all lit anymore. It yeah. also feels less uh, like centralized than some of that stuff. I mean, I always think of like HTML giant kind of being a hub for maybe that's slightly older than what you're talking about, but I don't know. I always felt like that was a little bit of a, a starting place for a lot of that stuff. And I don't really know where a lot of that stuff is living right now. I mean, I definitely, I think, you know, some of the writers who are maybe you would think of as like online writers right now, or like people who are more kind of descendants from alt lit, we could probably come up with similar names, but I don't really feel like, I don't really feel like it's a, a thing like it was before in a good way. I'm, I'm kind oh, of glad definitely. it's, I, I'm glad it's a little bit more like decentralized and loose and whatever. And I think we all definitely have like graduated into different kinds of writing. I mean, before it really was just like, it felt like uh, basically preteens writing and it felt very like <laughs> dorky and you're just basically passing notes with a really deep feelings, but online, mm-hmm. but no, I've noticed obviously there are a lot more different genres and everything. So do we just now just belong to our own unique genres? Does the internet tie us together anymore? That's something I'm really curious about. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like running Maudlin House, you're kind of thinking about that all the time, right? Like, are you the one that decides? Yeah. It's all you? Um, it's me and my fiance. Um, we also have some editors. They're all volunteers, but mainly it's just me. It's a lot yeah. of work. <laughs> Um, and we obviously are constantly changing. I mean, we started off just as an online magazine and then slowly we did like chat books, which were mm-hmm. so much easier to make. And now we actually do full on novels and we don't really get stuck on one style specifically, but I guess out of the ordinary abstract is what I prefer. Yeah. Like what kind of stuff really excites you or makes you sort of know that that's the kind of stuff that you want to, that you want to publish? I guess we have it where people now send us emails where they do the pitch and then like an excerpt of the writing because it got too much to the mm. point where I couldn't read every single person's book. Mm-hmm. But if I read a pitch and I'm just like, oh, my God, I could have never thought of that idea that is so out there. You've already got me to read it like I'm hooked already. I think the first book that you guys put out that I was aware of was Double Bird um, mm-hmm. because the cover who did did you do the art for that? No, it was a friend of Bud Smith's and okay. I forget his name currently. Cause that was just such a striking cover. And like that, I mean, you said you started kind of doing chat books and smaller stuff. And I mean, that was a full on <laughs> great looking paperback. And I remember that one showing up. I was like, Modlin house, who the hell is Modlin house? Cause Bud had kind of, <laughs> I feel like he had kind of published with a bunch of smaller, smaller places. And then, I mean, now i mean just to give people a sense like his next book is coming out on vintage in like a month so you guys yeah. are pub- you guys are publishing people who are you know going on to do like working with massive presses and all sorts of different things does it does it feel how do you feel about like that kind of trajectory for one of your authors or i mean is it exciting for you is it the kind of thing where you're oh i'm excited you, as you hell. Can imagine that yeah yeah we also have a lot of uh, our editors have gone on to do get really good deals and everything too. We had Erin Taylor. She was one of our interviews editors. We've had just so many other people who've actually gone on to work for things like bitch magazine and teen mm-hmm. Vogue. So that's awesome. I think we, 
I really want to try and help foster talent, which is so I don't know. It sounds douchey of me because then no, it makes it. No, no, no. No, I think it's awesome. <laughs> it implies that like I am very talented too, but no, I, I just <laughs> like to do the hand holding and be like, "Wow, you're impressing me. I'm just going to be your like cheerleader." <laughs> yeah, that's a like talent. That's, yeah, exactly. I feel like that's sometimes that that's what people need. You know, like they yeah. they need to know like you know out of out of this whole faceless world that you're hoping will read you. I'm someone who's reading you and is 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 excited. You know, like I feel like that's very meaningful. Definitely. Oh yeah. And I definitely scatter their books as many different places as I can. Sometimes even just leave them at bookstores that didn't want them. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things is once I went into Powell's in Portland and I took a lot of uh, our books and just put them under the staff picks. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how Love people it. like were able to buy it then, you know? <laughs> You know, I was very curious too. I was just like, did anyone successfully do it or did they just realize it right away? But I never checked in. (laughs) That's such a good idea. So how do you balance kind of the process of, you know, reading submissions, editing for Modlin House? sounds like kind of wearing a lot of different hats for Modlin House and then also just getting your own work done. Is it the kind of thing where the things that are nurturing you kind of changes day to day or do you have kind of a set rotation of how you're approaching your creative work it's always changing I really do my therapist and I agree I definitely need to come up with a better routine and learn how to handle it more because I also have two podcasts and I'm trying to do the writing and everything too Mm -hmm. it's a lot that's too much and then also make money (laughs) (laughs) oh my god but coffee is the main helpful thing and also you know my fiance is really good at helping me pick up all the slack he's definitely more on the tech end of everything the website design and everything is more him and do you feel like doing that kind of work um feeds feeds the writing that you want to do definitely I I guess this is the better way to say who I publish I only publish people that I aspire to want to write like Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah I totally get that and I feel like that's you know, I was almost going to try to put words into your mouth because I feel like that's, that's what it is, right? Like that's yeah. someone, you know, you read someone and you think like, oh my God, I want to try that, you know, or why didn't I think of that? Exactly. Or they phrased it so much better or they captured my feeling. How did they know that? Or yeah. Like that was a feeling that I didn't even know had a name or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you were talking to writers that end up in your inbox and that you you know, ultimately end up publishing, um, is the way that they're finding you, is there any kind of consistency? Are you finding that it's, you know, maybe they had a strong reaction to one of your books or, you know, you had published a friend or like, is there any kind of consistency to the way people are finding Modern House and finding you? Now, not so much. Before, it was definitely word of mouth. Bud Smith was a very big uh, contributing factor to a lot of our submissions. He wasn't our first big novel we did. We did one with Nick Gregorio, who is more of an unknown writer, and he has a much bigger, like, full-time real real job, I mm. say in quotes. He's a dean at a high school. Oh, wow. Oh. But that was our first, like, big novel. But after Bud Smith, everyone just kind of started referencing him. And mm. saying that that's why they wanted to like submit to us. Then slowly it just became natural. People just started submitting and not even referencing anything. That's awesome. 
And we never have to call for submissions or anything. I actually have like 300 emails I need to read still. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I feel like everybody has a Bud Smith story that has like interacted with them. And my Bud Smith story is well, after my second book came out, uh, Bud and I had, you know, known each other online, whatever, didn't know him very well. He's like, hey, man, happy to, you know, give you a blurb or whatever. Like, sure. Yeah. Send him a book. And Bud was like, hey, can I actually just call you on the phone and can we just talk about it? And he was the only person I think I've ever just picked up the phone and talked to on the phone. Just a total stranger about something I'd written. He ended up talking for like 45 minutes about all sorts of different stuff. But I was just every time I interact with somebody who's, you know, met Bud or even just had dealings with him online, they always have some kind of story like that where they're like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he gave me a call or he like he ended up he knew my buddy and he helped him out with this or that. It's like, I just feel like he's one of the the true good guys in the, uh, in the lit world. Oh, definitely. I mean, same thing, actually, seriously, I'm not used to talking on the phone with a lot of writers and we were just starting to discuss double bird. And he was like, can I call you really quickly? And really quickly was like four hours later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but he was really good and he's so nice and humble and like, it was more like he was holding my hand for that book than anything, but no, he was really great. And he's also helped edit some of my books, beta read. And I think he blurbed my poetry book. I published three, maybe four years ago. And he's always been really helpful. Or if I like say something like weird online, he'll text me <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what's going on, Mallory? Come on. <laughs> I love what's, it. what's like your ultimate goal for Maudlin House or does it always change? It's always changing. I mean, did I once fantasize about maybe having like a huge, huge publishing house? Yeah. Do I understand the way that the landscape has changed? Definitely. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind maybe even being like an imprint for another press or just being as steady as possible and keep growing. I guess it's one of those. We'll see where it takes us. That's kind of how it all has happened so far. So. Yeah, I feel like that's a good like philosophy or, you know, way to keep going. It's like, okay, we're just going to keep moving from here and building from here. But it's such a good, Maudlin House is such a wonderful name. <laughs> such a great. Yes, it sticks. It's a yes. sticky name, name for sure. Where did it, it come from? Always says it. Oh, okay. This is the dorky thing. <laughs> <laughs> I also like to say there are like 20 other names down the list. And I had my nieces voting on it and they're like, that one. That one sounds like the professional one. And I was like, all right, got it. Boomtown (laughs) books, not good. I'm going to stick with Maldon. (laughs) I love that. That's not dorky. I love it. Yeah, I I keep wanting to do that on the side, but not tell anybody that it's me publishing it. But I guess I ruined it now. (laughs) But uh, Maldon, I don't use the term often. It was because there's a band called Maldon Strangers. And the lead singer of the band, I don't even know if they're a big thing anymore, was the son of Sherry Curry from The Runaways. Oh, oh my gosh, cool. I got into it from that, and the name just stuck, Maudlin, so that's where we be. That's That's where we be. Yeah. Mallory, when you say the landscape has changed, um, even since you've kind of started uh, with your publishing house, what, what do you mean? What is the thing that you have kind of noticed? Um, what has become more difficult or what has become, I don't know. What, what's, what is it that you've noticed? I've become a lot more vigilant 
in who I work with. I do a lot more looking into the background. I'm very heavy into just like, I won't even like check in someone's writing unless I've done like a really deep check into like, have they ever said anything horrible, inflammatory? Was it justified? And honestly, right now it's more who has a message that we want to push most. We don't like to publish books just for the sake of publishing them. So like a message in terms of like, like moving society forward. <laughs> I guess that, like that would be the best way. Yeah. 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 Cause I don't know. I mean, there's so many books out there that are just kind of about nothing. The Seinfeld books really like my book, my book is about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and so you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even publish your book. Hell no. Oh my God. I would never publish me. <laughs> oh my God. Can you talk a little bit about the difference there? Like the difference in what you would publish versus what you are enjoying writing? Um, well, the thing is, as of right now, I'm slowly going to try and pivot into writing in a more what I would publish. I see. Kind of area. But no, I, I write really depressing shit. <laughs> <laughs> and there are dark things, obviously, in the books that we publish, but yeah, I, I go for new ideas, something that I haven't seen and stuff that I can't even imagine. So that's how I know I could never actually publish myself because I see so much like where my book is derivative from other authors. Mm. Like, you know, it's derivative when my like baby boomer parents are like, I see some Steinbeck in here <laughs> and shit you like know, that. People see what they want to see, you know, like and I feel like every author feels yeah, that way. True. Sometimes I look at my stuff and I'm like, oh God, you're so blatantly ripping off whatever the drive-by truckers here, you know, like (laughs) your own voice, you idiot. Um, Yeah. But you know what? I was, I was just talking to a friend the other day and I said, one of my favorite things when I'm reading somebody for the first time is having a sense that they are a reader. And what I mean by that is very often you can pick something up and say like, oh my God, you know, this, this guy loves Donald Antrim or you know, loves Claire Fuller or whoever it may be. And I think there's something really beautiful about that, whether or not it's derivative, I think, you know, emulating people that you, that you love, that you've learned from, even not as a, you know, a writer starting out, just whenever in your, in your, <laughs> in your career, in your path is, is fine. It doesn't really bother me. Cause I feel like typically people are bringing enough to the table where they're putting their own mark on it and some kind of, you know, echo or resonance is fine with me. Mm -hmm. I took a class once where um, we read Emerson, but we also read everything that Emerson was reading as he was writing this stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, and it really showed you like how he built on the ideas that he was, you know, reading, but it it couldn't help but be derivative. Right. Because like, yeah. And I know that, you know, like you don't need us to sit here and be like, you're not derivative. You're fine. But (laughs) I just think it's a very interesting, you know, way that we as writers get inspiration and then beat ourselves up for doing that. You know, Mm -hmm. when like, I remember after um, my first book, Daddy's came out, um, I think it was Gene Kwok actually was like, oh yeah, oh my God, Lindsay, you must be the biggest Harry Cruz fan. And I had never read Harry Cruz. Mm. Really? Yeah. And so like, I just think Florida. Wow. Yeah. So I think sometimes those things just happen and, and, you know, like they're beyond you, you you know, like can't, can't even imagine what people will come up with, you know, people find stuff in my writing that are 
one derivative to the point where I'm just like, I haven't even read that author, but yeah, good for right. you for your finding that. And also <laughs> meaning in places that I wasn't even hoping for meaning. I was just like, that was just a weird line. Thank you for thinking I'm a genius <laughs> right. though. Sure. Sometimes I'll yeah. pretend that it was as perfect as it was. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> people will say that line where you said, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I love looking back at like old things you write and you're like, was that me? (laughs) (laughs) How, so how are you, you're saying that you're in the process of moving your writing to something that you would publish. What does that look like? How are you getting into that space? Well, right now I just kind of, uh, I've been doing a lot of free writing, just trying to get everything I already have out of my brain and then just reading as many different new things as I can find. I've been reading a lot of uh, Michael Seilinger's work, a lot of old Bud Smith stuff. Um, Then some other like random things I find online. But the best thing that I found to help me really get out of my own headspace, there's an app called the Most Dangerous Writing App. And basically what it does is I don't know if you guys did read my book, but there is this one chapter. I think it says, if you stop writing, all progress will be lost. I got it from that app. Cool. And apparently if you stop writing for less than a second, everything deletes. Oh my Lord. So it's really good for really getting your brain out of like yourself and you start typing whatever the hell can just like pass into your trajectory. And the word fuck comes up a lot because I'm just like, <laughs> I just got to make it to the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a, there's like a counter going down and you just, you have to keep typing during that entire. Yeah. Oh, wow. How long are the sessions? Like how long? You could actually pick the shortest oh, okay. is five minutes, but I've even seen like hour long ones. Oh, and I God. just want to meet the MVPs who could do that. Yeah. That's oh, insane. God. My I would grad, be the fucking worst at that. Uh, yeah, everything would be deleted like 14 times. <laughs> yeah, they would be like, you actually aren't even allowed to have this app because you're such dog shit at this. <laughs> I took a summer funny. school uh, fiction class once before I went into grad school. And um, it was with Jeannie Leiby. And uh, she she made us do like all the normal stuff you would do in a, in a fiction <clears throat> class, you know, like workshop each other's stuff and write new stuff. But she also made us do 50 single spaced pages of new work. And she was like, you're just going to generate work this summer. And, you know, and it was a really short class. So it it wasn't like we had that much time. And she's like, and I don't care if one of the pages is just, I don't know over and over and over again. And I had like seven pages of, I don't know. Cause I was like, I have to, I have to meet the 50 page. (laughs) You're like, do you have any more ideas? (laughs) I should have used the word. Hit random like letters, just keep hitting them over and over. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> just until you get there. Spacing doesn't count. I learned. Oh my but gosh. Yeah. So you just gotta be hitting actual letters or numbers or whatever. I feel like I have that. It's not the app, but what I have are kids. And so when I start <laughs> typing, <laughs> they can tell and they're like, mom, 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 mom. And so I have to, I have to get as much typing in before something blows up. Oh my God. See, that sounds just like it. Yeah. 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 So I, I think I'm right there with you. I'll try to get to an hour one day. We'll see. Yeah, one day. <laughs> Somebody asked me recently if I if I read my work out loud while I'm writing, and I said, and I my first answer was yes, and then I was like, uh, actually no, I'm never alone anymore. So I think I like mostly just mumble, 
because there's always either kids or my wife or it's like everybody's asleep so it's like no there's there's no like me loudly reading my own work out loud anymore it's just it's just quiet mumbling of like a a lunatic on the couch just your lips moving in the moonlight exactly (laughs) see i'm just imagining you walking down a street randomly muttering well you you got it yeah (laughs) it just sounds better just take yourself out of your living room and in public and you fit there you go yeah, it works. Mallory, yeah. so you are also a big horror movie fan. And we were just talking about um, how crappy the new Scream is. But <laughs> yeah. what what is the first horror movie that you can remember, like, really speaking to you? Oh, God, that's that's a great question. Well, what do you mean by speaking to me? Just like, well, I can remember that I... In second grade, I, I watched The Shining with my best Holy friend shit. on a sleepover. That's an intense one. <laughs> it was on God. TV in the middle of the night at like two in the morning and we watched it and we thought it was hilarious. And so that <laughs> is like the one, <laughs> like that made a big, and then I saw it later when I was like a teenager and I was like, oh my God, this movie's horrifying. Why did I think it was so funny? Um, you know what? I think it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. How Hopefully old not second grade. I actually was young. <laughs> oh my god! Before junior high, I know that, and it's because oh I saw Lord. that '80s movie, Summer School, and they show a bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that, oh. and I was like, "Oh, I got to see that movie," and yeah, I got really into it. For yeah, some reason, when you're you... younger, you just don't like feel as terrified, unless you have one of your Man. older siblings purposely trying to terrify you. But none of my yeah. siblings knew I watched that one. <laughs> It's true. Cause like one time my husband and I, it was like our anniversary. I think this was like in the middle of 2020. So it was like, you know, our kids had been with, with us for like four straight months and we were like, it's our anniversary. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. Here's what we'll do. We'll put the little ones down to nap and then we'll give the oldest one who doesn't nap. We'll give him like iPad time and he can watch something, you know, like on Netflix or something, and we'll take a nap. That'll be like our special. Oh God, this is getting sadder and sadder. That'll be our special anniversary present is we'll get to nap next to each other. Oh, okay. So we, we did, we napped on the couch and our son, our oldest son was across the way on the futon with his headphones, watching the iPad. And I got up and I went over and I'm like, what you watching, buddy? He was watching a horror movie called Come to Daddy. And it was like oh, in God. the last 20 minutes, there was like someone <laughs> covered in blood, holding an ax with a house on fire behind him. And he was like, this movie's hilarious. And I was like, oh my God, what? And See, I, I always wondered about that. Like, how do you even block kids from watching stuff like that on the iPad now? I have well, you 11 can. nieces and nephews. So I see them watch like the craziest shit. We, 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 it was like, maybe it wasn't the iPad. It was some like Amazon device or something where it was like too easy to go into the adults. And he didn't know he wasn't trying to be, you know, bad or anything. He was just like, this looks interesting, but it was like amazing how, you know, he was seven maybe. And the way he processed it was just like, he didn't understand a large portion of it, but the parts that he, that spoke to him were the parts he thought were funny, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyway, I can't even express that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I could say what I thought was hilarious in Texas Chainsaw Massacre without people being like, that was terrible, Mallory. What the hell? But as a kid, you find certain really inappropriate things funny. Oh, yeah, man. I think it's a natural childlike response to just sort of like, you know, giggle and you hope for the deaths for certain people. You're like, I hope somebody shuts that person up. Yes. 
Yes, totally. I remember the first movie that scared the hell out of me was uh, Temple of Doom, was Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Oh, like when yes. They, when was they it re- like when... they said Kali Ma or whatever? Yeah, the, you know, the, like the shit, like the reach into the chest scene and rip the heart out. I was like, oh my fucking god like hell is real and you literally said that at age yeah, exactly. eight. <laughs> oh my fucking god hell is real <laughs> don't feel bad about it my 32 year old fiance is still terrified of that scene so see there you go that's my guy sometimes it just gets you remember the movie the burbs oh my yes, god of course. Yes. Tom Hanks. yeah that's like a yeah. classic Anchor example Fisher. of like, yes like hilarious but also deeply terrifying at times it's a good movie Mm-hmm. that's a classic that's a, good, that's a good tv movie like that's one if i would hit it on cable i'd be like yes i will watch this totally but if you still have cable i don't think i've ever met anyone man. who still has that you just met one. Oh we man you're so young <laughs> listen my mother-in-law's husband still insists on paying for aol what what i didn't even so, know that was an option i gotta be honest. i don't understand it either because it's it's <laughs> it's free so but he insists oh. that he must still pay for aol and he will not See, now cancel explain it. that to your kids just watch <laughs> that go over their heads i try exactly. I, that's I, true <laughs> my nine-year-old heard us talking about it the other day and he was like what aol huh <laughs> and then you made the noises yeah <laughs> oh my god i like to like scare my nieces and nephews about how long it was to get dial up internet that yeah. that's their horror movie really they have no and you make idea. like the weird noises and they're like what the hell that's not true and you couldn't use the phone no those good old days i remember before internet we had those encarta cds oh my god remember, you remember that those yes mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god mallory do you think you'll ever write anything that's that's horror i would love to i actually have see that's a thing i don't know if dimitri put it in the article or not i do write regularly i think i've actually written closer to 10 books in my life so far but i just don't publish them (laughs) because i don't think they really fit god it's gonna sound corporate with my brand but it's (laughs) just that's such a what are you you're 30 so you're you're not a millennial are you you're younger than that right no that's right at like the cutoff i'm millennial it's a very millennial thing to say yeah <laughs> believe brand. me like i i've drunk a lot of microbrew beer I, I walked around wicker park doing all the cool hipster shit i'm a millennial <laughs> hey whatever you just fucking love avocado toast <laughs> you know that actually i've never tried it oh, oh wow it's, it's really good sure good yeah get a little spicy honey on there come on Ooh, Ooh. who's the millennial now oh yeah no i i think i'm squarely in the millennial zone for sure <laughs> But no, I'm like millennial leaning into Gen Z. My main audience would actually be Gen Z because like my niece hypes my shit up so much. Like how old is your niece? She's going to turn 22. Oh, my in gosh. Wow. A month almost. She's my oldest niece. So obviously you could tell like I have a huge ass Irish Catholic <laughs> family. You want to do a shout out to Dimitri? He is messaging me right now saying, how's your writer butt interviewing going? <laughs> oh, Dimitri. What a nice friend. What a mensch. We couldn't do it without you, Dimitri. It's true. See, he's going to love it. This is really more an interview about Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Yep. We need yeah. to do another episode with him. You guys should. He's fun. So wait, we interrupted you. Back to your horror, horror book writing aspirations. Uh, I'd love to. Um, 
I'm not sure if I actually ever will. I think I'm more likely to, and this is a weird vibe. I'd probably be more likely to make a horror movie. Um, mm. Oh, cool. Have you written any scripts? Yes. Um, they suck ass, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a prerequisite. Also, yeah, self-loathing. That's part of being a writer, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Questioning everything. Yeah. Addiction Imposter to coffee. Mm-hmm. Somnia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't do coffee at 7.30. I drink coffee all day, Mallory, but 7.30 is like a bridge too far. I guess it's eight now. Bridge too far for me. That is like, wow. I'm impressed. But I get up pretty early. I think we could blame Dimitri because he made me go to a midnight movie. Oh, okay. (laughs) First dream. So like I I was pretty tired the last day or two. And that's when you know you're finally getting old. We're like, oh my (laughs) God, I can't believe I stayed up that late. I need to catch up on the sleep. (laughs) (laughs) like that's possible (laughs) no yeah 10 o'clock is basically that's like life ending middle of the night for me exactly if i accidentally stay up until 10 it's i'm like oh no (laughs) meanwhile i'm trying to be social drink wine and be excited to go see scream and there are obviously entire theater of gen z kids i'm like this isn't your movie (laughs) get out of here I was nervous at first because I didn't see anyone our age. I was like, ooh, maybe no one's going to want to see it. Then we finally got into the theater. I was like, ah, shit, different crowd. Did people seem to enjoy it? You know, I mean, it felt more like a comedy. You got reactions like that more than you would from a horror movie. Okay. I think there was like only one legitimate scream. Oh, well, that's pretty good to get at least one. Yeah, at least one. It does the job. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't like it that much. I mean, if I were to do like orders of Scream, I would be like original Scream, then Scream 2, Scream 4, <laughs> Scream 3, and then this one. And then scream. Scream again. Yeah. Then, then Scream. <laughs> scream in all caps. Yeah. What was the what was oh the God. Anna Ferris one that they did? The parody of scary it? Scary movie. Yeah. Scary movie. Scary movie better than the, the newest Scream. Yes. I mean, you know, I could tell that they're obviously trying to, they said it so many times, pass the torch to the next generation. And I think if you have to say that so many times within the movie, you're trying too hard. Yeah. Well, so what's next for Mallory Smart? Um, writing, I guess. Um, I do have some, a book idea that I'm just kind of keeping in the vault right now, but I am writing and I'm going to start pitching it to some publishers soon. Oh, and also exciting. pushing my only living girl in Chicago book a tad more because it came out in the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I wrote it in the pandemic, too. But <laughs> don't you miss those days when we thought that this was going to end? I know. Like I saying mean, when the pandemic is over is almost the same as like saying, hey, when I win the lottery. Oh, my God. That's really depressing. That's brutal. Yeah. Let's pivot from depressing and, and have you <laughs> <laughs> have you uh tell us a little bit about the only living girl in chicago real real quick so that we can we can hype you up yes oh. like a 22 year old niece like your niece yep <laughs> oh no you can never hype me up as much as she does she thinks i'm awesome <laughs> unless you really think i'm awesome too i mean hey, you're oh, here we do. For sure. unless you're underage and i bought you alcohol i don't know <laughs> um i don't know i mean do you want me to just say what it's about or yeah like Tell us what it's about. Tell us, you know, like if if you're fans of X, you'll love Mallory Smart's Only Living Girl in Chicago. 
if you are fans of Miranda July, potentially oh. a sadder Miranda July. Love that. <laughs> um, if you're really into road trip stories, if you like weird drug induced visions, um, if you've ever really gotten caught into fantasies about Jurassic Park, I don't know, maybe you'd like this. And hell, if you ever had an existential crisis at a gas station, then Ooh, you'll man. like this book. Holy shit. You just sold me on it and I already have it. <laughs> <laughs> the oh gas God, station that's... one, especially that for some reason, everyone loved, but I was like, all right, sure. There's something about a gas station that's so familiar, like nostalgic almost. What happened the entire chapter I wrote, I think it's called like, don't quit your daydream or whatever. The entire chapter stemmed from I was driving to San Francisco with some people from Cornell and my boyfriend, who's now my fiance. We're still getting used to the term. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I, we're still going to probably start saying fiance by the time we're married. And then on our 10th anniversary, we'll probably be like, oh, husband. <laughs> <laughs> Take it slow. But no, we were like in a gas station and we had to stop and I wanted to brush my teeth. And as I'm brushing my teeth, this one little girl comes in and is like, are you homeless? And <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I was just like, so like, how bad do I look right now? <laughs> as I have like an iPad, an iPhone right next to me. And it's like, I'm not homeless. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is an electric toothbrush. <laughs> well, Mallory, yeah. this has been very fun. And Definitely. I'm really excited for what's next for you. And everyone should go get the only living girl in Chicago off of Trident press and all the reasons for all the reasons that Mallory just described. Thank Great. you. Thank you, Mallory. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. coming on. Thanks for having me. Have a good yeah. night. Yeah, Bye Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> That was really fun. Yeah, that was good. I'm glad we had her on. Um, I cut my hair today. Did you really? Yeah. What are we talking about here? What are we it's doing? A, it's a chin length bob. Nice. Thank you. Is it like at an angle sloping forward or is no. it just like flat? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to go. It's more toward flat. Mm-hmm. It's not angling forward. Well, you have, um, God, what's the right word? What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Hairdresser. That's not the right word. Yeah. I think stylist stylist. You have a stylist in your family. Yes. I did so clear I'm, it with her before. That's what I was going to ask. You yes. probably were like, Hey, is this the right move here? She, yeah, she always has, she always wants me to have bangs because she's offended by my forehead. And, um, oh, that's where that comes from. You have like oh, yes. a big time bangs thing she is always now she says it a lot nicer than she used to she's mm. nicer to me about it than she used to be but it's always yeah you should cut bangs no no you should get bangs get bangs um and I, I sent her the picture and I said what if I did this and she said oh I was thinking of doing the same thing so oh. go for it and so I did friend of the uh pod Emily Adrian our buddy M she up, said Anne? that bangs are the female equivalent of a mustache oh what if and you I could, got it if you could put a say, mustache on your forehead though you would. <laughs> okay <laughs> but it's like the same kind of like 
like like three weeks ago, I was like, I don't want a beard anymore. I have a mustache. And it's like, you're just like bored. You do it. It's like, do I need to make a change? Bangs. Do I need to make a change? Mustache. It's like the same kind of impulse. No. And that's totally the impulse that I had today was I got to make this haircut worth my while. <laughs> so I can't just roll in there being like, I just need a trim. Right. Uh, and yeah, I think it's like one of those things that like, if you're feeling trapped in any way, like Omicron has made me feel trapped or um, scared or like, you know, freaked out. You can always just like chop your hair off. Mm-hmm. Why not? Absolutely. Why not? I feel like I've seen a lot of people chopping their hair off lately. Yes. And I can relate. No, I totally relate. Absolutely. Ben, ben said it's fun and flirty. <laughs> I've, I gave up on a few books recently. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been happening more to me. Mm, yeah. You're typically, I feel like you typically kind of grind it out, right? Well, I, if I really hate it, no, I don't. And I used to force myself, but, but especially now, like I was reading a book that I was enjoying. It was fine. It was after Claire Fuller. So it was mm-hmm. a tough act to Who follow. You loved, you loved yeah. those books. Yeah. So I was reading a book after that and I was like, this is good. I'm enjoying it. And then all of a sudden I was like, I don't care about anyone in this book. And then I couldn't stop thinking that. And so I just gave up on it. Mm. I'm a big supporter of punting on books. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's not the book's fault. It's just not what I want. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah I've come back to stuff and thought, wow, what was I missing? Or like, what was I not open to in this? But did you, did you finish um, the transit of Venus? I have not. Okay. I have, still not, I have not even read another page of it. Hmm. Um, I, I was just going to say we're in like a no sleep period in our house okay, right now, yeah. mm-hmm. partially because of non COVID sickness. Um, but also just like, I think, I think it's just kind of a weird age for my youngest is a year and a half and she's just like, she's just not sleeping. So it's been, I don't know. It's like those nights where you come home from work and it's like, that is what we're doing. We're, we're like trying to get her to sleep. There's not really a lot of free time right now. It's been like two weeks. It's been like two weeks of like, she's kind of in this zone and she was, you know, before she would probably sleep for like four hour stretches and that was great. But yeah, I mean, it's fine, but it's just one of those periods of not getting a lot done. Yeah. That's like, if we don't get the time, like adult time, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like where we can sit and, and like watch TV together mm-hmm. and like stare at our phones or whatever, right. it just becomes very bleak. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. No. <laughs> My Definitely. youngest is in a phase and she has been for months where she goes to bed in her bed. And then at some point she runs in and gets in bed with us. And sometimes it's fine, but a lot of the times like she goes completely horizontal. So she's like kicking me, you know, or like she's all over the place. And then, you know, so that's been rough. Oh yeah. It's yeah. Definitely. It's, I can remember like not understanding that once you get your babies to sleep, that's not the end of it, you know, like, yeah, it's, it changes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like it gets better. It gets worse. It gets better again. It gets worse. Right. I think something that you told me though, early on, I think just when we were struggling with something with my oldest, some sleep thing, probably early on a couple of years ago was that I was, you know, asking you like really specific questions about like, Oh, you know, what time do you guys do this? How do you do this? And your answer, it was something like, you know, like do whatever works, but also like it will pass. 
And it sounds so, 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 so cliche, but I think it's such a smart thing to tell parents of young kids. Cause it's like, it's gnarly for however long it is. And then it's a different kind of gnarly and it's, it's, <laughs> it's not the same. It's like, you have another, you have another issue. It'll, it'll go away. So I can't remember who someone, someone of my friends said, just remember everything is a phase. It's all a phase. Right. It's true. It's like, we're in this phase right now and then we'll be in another phase. I know it's brutal. Yeah. (laughs) But it's weird because of, you know, that. And then also just, I have just not been productive for months and months and months because of everything whatever. Yeah. Because of everything and having a book on submission and has really kind of frozen me up in some ways writing wise, but I have a lot of starts and I typically don't have a lot of starts. Like I typically will just work on something, finish it and move on. And I probably have like four opening paragraphs or opening several paragraphs to short stories, which I never have had. It's, I mean, since I was, you know, since like eight, nine, 10 years ago. So that's, it's kind of fun to have that and kind of dip in, Um, but tinker, tinker, but I'm definitely one of those people who, you know, whether it be somebody we're talking to on here or just a buddy, like I can definitely give, you know, a log line of advice or like say how something worked for me once, but I'm terrible at taking my own advice. I'm, of course, you know, I'm of absolutely course. the person who's like, you should just do this and it's easy. And then I will be like, so precious and so weak with <laughs> my decision making. It's, with things, it's just so. so different. It's like editing and reviewing is so different then, I mean, that's an obvious statement, but like, it just is, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I, I like, I want to go back to a little something that you just said, where being on submission has kind of halted you. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way. Like, I feel like I've been in this holding pattern, like holding my breath almost. Totally. And, and I, I feel like I should be able to break free of that. Like I, and I mean, it, I don't have now that my youngest doesn't nap, like I don't, I don't really have time right. to do it. Like I, I can't wake up early and do it. Cause she's right next to me and mm-hmm. she'd be like, what are we doing mom? You know? Right. So it, there's just no time, but um, yeah, we're in no nap house too. Yeah. But it's like at a certain point, like I'm dying to get back to this thing I started, you know, but it's like, mm-hmm. when, when, you know, right. Everything's a phase. <laughs> have you i think i know the answer to this but you have not ever done a residency or anything right no i haven't because i was thinking like god i i was thinking like four or five days with nothing like literally nothing else to do i feel like i could write like an entire novel i know i know i mean i'm exaggerating i mean i'm exaggerating but i think i could i bet i could write like a fucking shitload. I just, yes. it's, I just, I don't know. I mean, you're the same way. You just haven't had like isolated time and so long, but. And the, the most infuriating thing about it is like, I've applied to, you know, um, like NEA, I applied to get an NEA. I, I applied mm-hmm. um, to get Not a this year house. though, right? No, I did. This year? It was my first time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did you um, talk to Megan? No, I didn't talk to her. I should have. Yeah. I should have done yeah, that. You totally should have. <laughs> Yeah. And, but that's the problem is like applying for these things. I don't even have time to do that. And so like, those are, those applications are rushed, you know? And mm-hmm. I feel like I feel mad at myself afterward. Cause I'm like, well, you know, I did it. Cause I, yeah, I'm glad that I did it. But at the same time, I, I wasn't able to take the time to do 
you know, to, to apply for those things like (laughs) calmly Mm -hmm. and thoughtfully, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I know like every time I talk about this, I hear like all those people on Twitter being like, Hey, Hey, you decided to have kids, you know? And it's like, and so I know, like, I know that those are choices I made and I I know it makes things hard, but it's just like, you know, I mean, I I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a really ungenerous response to that. If, if somebody's actually responding that way, which I kind of doubt, but like, even if someone's thinking that way, it's like, it's more nuanced than that. And it's more complicated than that because, you know, uh, like I was thinking, for instance, if I got into one of these places, I would still have to get the time off work and we would right. have to arrange for childcare yes. for when I'm typically with the kids. Because it would I'm, put so much stress on our family and, is the other thing. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, it, it wouldn't be fair to my wife at all because then she would have to, re- I mean, really she would have to request time off. She would have to get the exact same time off work. And then yep. that entire time off work would be spent watching the kids. And that's, yep. I'm not like complaining. I'm just saying like, that's a reality. So I, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, really I know see there has how... to be like something you can apply for or we can apply for that, like gives you yeah. money for childcare. <laughs> so you know that. Like... So like, yeah, money, see that would be helpful because if you could say like, <sighs> God, I'm trying to think what dollar amount would actually like move the needle. It would have to be more than it would have to be kind of a stupid number. I know. I mean, the number that I had in my head was like fifteen hundred dollars. That's not a stupid number. Be well, just because like you know what number I, I was thinking? Tell me twenty five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. So twenty five thousand dollars. Uh-huh. Oh my god. <laughs> I love your numbers so much more. I mean, I was literally thinking about like, okay, three days off work and like break it's the time off. And like, how can I justify this? And it's like, yeah, it would have to be a big number because I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah. Like if, if I was able to, I don't even, it's all, it's all imaginary because like, it's a hundred percent imaginary. This even, is like fantasy football right now. Cause it's yeah. not fucking happening. No. Yeah. And even now, like the idea that we would get a babysitter. So that's not my mother-in-law mm-hmm. that would stay with the kids and yeah. that we would feel comfortable being like, bye, you know, like yeah. there's like a disconnect there for me. I don't, I don't that's know, so but yeah, it, it, it does feel sad to me sometimes that I, that there's this like world of writerdom that revolves around getting residencies and getting, support that I don't have access to right? for reasons that are my fault and not my fault. And it's like, yes, it feels sad. It feels really sad. That's all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, the, I know, uh, Kristen Scandrian does like the, she'll take like a couple days in a hotel or a one day in a hotel. Um, actually our buddy, our Emily just did that. She did that like a day or two ago. So it's like, I feel like it's something that's doable, but even like, I just, I don't know. I guess I have a little bit of a guilt complex around this. Cause I'm like yes. an entire, like an entire day where I'm just going to go fucking sit in a hotel room and write. I, it feels like, so it does. Like I felt guilty getting my hair cut today, you know, yeah, but it's you like did. time yeah. for yourself is, yeah. you know, time that your spouse doesn't have to him or herself, right. you know? I mean, like we, I'm sure, <laughs> did you just I, say- I don't know. I mean, I don't know how. <laughs> And I just feel goes, like we have mm-hmm. to like, yeah, I feel like we have to like schedule where we're going to take a shower. It's like, uh-huh. it's like, I'm going to go take a shower. Can you, can you like, can yes. you like, and it's like, if that's like the level we're on, then yeah. I mean, 
a hotel. And we can't be like, peace, I'm going to a hotel. <laughs> peace. Maybe someone will like this one day. Now I know, like, it's <laughs> it's really hard, you know? Maybe someone won't buy this book that I'm going to go write in this hotel someday. I'm going to go write my words. I'm going to go do my make ups in the hotel and fucking <laughs> crush the mini bar. And hopefully they have, I don't know, some fucked up movie on TV I can watch. <laughs> Oh my god. Hopefully the shining, which is hilarious. It's yeah, truly a knee slapper. A minute. Oh my god. <laughs> On that note. On that note, we did it. We did it. All right, but see ya. Goodbye. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah. Dunn's son? Dunn's son?